Good evening, everyone. Hello, this is uh, Jerry Lee, and we're so happy to have you here with us for this um, number four of the seal, the seventh seal. And uh, it's going to be an exciting evening, and I hope you got your listening ears on. Uh, may the Holy Spirit just anoint your hearing and your understanding and bless you in it so that this word will be like a great planting that will spring up and flower with fruitfulness. God just bless you this very, very evening and be with you. Amen. In the book of Revelations, chapter 1, verse 10, John is describing his first advent with this deep of revelations. And he explains, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. There is something important to understand about this statement that he made. He didn't hear this from one side or another side or the front of him but he heard this great voice as a trumpet sounding behind him now the meaning of that revelation is that this tremendous opening up of the oracles opening up of the mysteries was first to begin with the incredible information that had to do from the past of time, what was behind him. From the past of time was what God was dealing with here. Because there is something about not understanding the past that makes it almost impossible to understand the present or the future. And so, it is a divine thing, and it is a, it is a thing of destiny for each person to be able to understand the plan of God by knowing what has been said behind you. There are so many interesting things as we delve into the seven stars. And we are telling you in this revelation that these stars represented seven different universes. Seven different universes as represented by seven different angels. Now, those seven angels being stars are verified in this very same number one chapter of Revelations. And if you look at verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, we have to really understand the word church. Because when we even go back into the Old Testament, there are 
similar kinds of references. But back then, the idea of church uh, wasn't even uh, created. Uh, not in the sense that this word church is given. Um, but in the Greek sense of the word, and that, of course, is very important to know. In the, in the Greek sense of the word, uh, church actually means a community of people. It, it represents a, a community of people, uh, and, and that is what this church means. When a person says, I'm going to church, a lot of people, there, I'm sure there are a number, good number of people, they think of the church as being the building. This is church. It was built on so-and-so street in a so-and-so time of the year. And it has a name on it. And that is my church. But actually and technically, and to be efficient in definition, the church is not the building. The church the church represents the people. They make the church. And that is, um, is verified uh, in the scriptures and would not take an awful lot of time uh, to be able to be proven uh, to anyone that, uh, that needed the opportunity to have to prove it, be, to have it to be proven to. So, all right, let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, now, there are so many interesting things to say, but here we see the seven stars are angels of the seven churches. This star thing is big. If you look right across over at the second chapter of Revelations and verse 28, verse 26 and 28 says, to the persons that overcome and, and keep the works of the Lord to the end, one of the most important things that it says that they will achieve, followed by the conjunction and, I will give him the morning star. So that is part of the prize to come into this revelation, to come into this understanding of what the morning star means, what the revelation of that is. Now, of course, in Job 38, it talks about the morning stars that existed before the foundations of the earth and of the world, of this world. And how that, how that they sung and they had joy. Something happened later, but those morning stars... They represented a universe, the morning star universe. And they had an archangel who was, was over them. And the name of that archangel was Uriah. Now, whenever you see the A-H in a name from the Old Testament... And even if it would be used in the New Testament, from the Hebrew, 
That A-H, or like E-L, signifies the name of the Lord of, of God. So, people get very confused if you, if you tell them that, um, that Uriel or Yahweh is an archangel. And yet, the Bible specifically says that very thing. What really confuses it is because in the transliteration of the word messenger, the name messenger was personified to become, in the Greek transliteration into English, the word angel. And people have in their minds a conveyed idea of what angel means. And there's been a lot of indoctrination that has sort of brain-inscribed the ideas upon people. And it's not easy, easy for them to get some of those notions and teachings out of their mind that, in fact, are just not correct. But it's very important as we go along to, uh, to see the plan of God and to see exactly what it is that God wants to do with this plan, how he wants to open it up, how he wants to make it known to all of us so that we don't have to live in the darkness of the mystery any longer, but that we can have an assurity and a confidence because it's about our lives. It's about our future. Now, just to get into the spirit of I heard a voice behind me, without even turning to it, let me just quickly gloss over the Genesis story. It starts off with the term Elohim. Now, Elohim is a very interesting word. And it generally can mean and does mean plural. More than one. And I understand all of the concepts of the verb and the applications that have been given to it that dignify it as being an exclusive one ultimate God. But in the case of usage, it has throughout the Bible been used in the plural sense of Elohim in its interpretation of the same word God that is used exclusively as a singular in the same Bible by the same translational concept. So just by reason of usage and comparison, it can be shown and can be proven that it is not out of line to use the word Elohim to mean gods. It's just the idea that 
the practice of there being more than one God has had a big lean toward paganism. And there has been confusion and dark ages kind of thinking about all so many different kinds of gods. But one must remember the power of Lucifer in his ability to distract people and defer people from the truth by infusing things that are so extreme that people then just say, oh no, no way I can believe that. I look at those pagan ideas. You know the same thing happened prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. There was, there was a good number of messiahs that came and were just incredibly false. And the stories about that are super interesting. By time Jesus came, the government was just absolutely fed up to its nostrils about any more messiahs coming. And the idea of accepting another one was just out of question. And it was a carefully played plan of the forces and the principalities of darkness. It was a distraction. It was a deviation. It was a deferring of the truth. We had to be so careful that things that looked like they could not be right might be covered up with the same kind, kind of deferring and the same kind of deceit. We see that today with the revelation about UFOs, unidentified flying objects. There are a bunch of people out there that are radical. They are very radical. And they are so radical that when you hear a good number of them speaking, by the time you get through listening to them, if you bother to do that, it just makes you feel like, hey, I don't even believe in that subject. I don't even believe in that. Then, of course, there's a few, uh, there's a few scientists who make their proclamations, and they're emphatic. But I'm telling you something. When I go back and I review the history of scientists and their statements of fact, because they've done a few tests and that should prove it, and then new uh, discoveries happen which absolutely inundate those facts, <clears throat> then I am not prepared to allow, I don't care if what the entitlement of an individual is, to sway me from what is the truth. And I, I ask you people to not be swayed from the truth because of what some people have said about their opinion. I want you to listen intensely to this teaching here tonight and the things that I will have to say. Because the way that this works, manifold God, which is the peace Bible manifest way of introducing Genesis, incorporates and includes the plurality 
of the Elohim. And the Elohim as being angels who were involved in the creation. But then approximately on the fifth generation day of creation, the longest day of creation, everything fell apart because Lucifer, the covering cherub, as the Bible puts it, had been placed in charge as a guardian over the Ophanim, who were the creator angels, but whose leadership group had gone down into creation to spirit the creation. And while they were spiriting the creation, he was set in place as a guardian. And during that time, he convinced those Ophanim angels with his beautiful mind that he had ideas that were more lofty, that he had plans that were more glorious, that would get them closer to God sooner than the plans of Yahweh. He was so persuasive, so powerful in his enchantings and in his style of methods that people fell head over heels for this beautiful mind angel. Well, eventually, of course, that led to a state of disillusion. The cherubims, who were the guardian angels over the creation, another group of angels, not the Ophanims, came into the play and began to fill in for the Ophanims in the creation. Ezekiel beautifully describes that in his wheel in the middle of the wheel and the cherubims and the Ophanims, which I don't have time to go into that now. I'm just wanting to give you a real fast understanding. But eventually, there came to be a war, a war in heaven. Now, seriously and importantly, people do not understand that when you use words like heaven and many other words as used in the Bible, that these words have both the capability to be used singularly or plurally. And the only thing that makes the difference is the context. And the context, believe me, really takes a, a very deep scrutinizing in order to understand for sure the application of the intent. And then, if that word has any code, that has to all be put into, into the act of in, interpretation. So it's important to understand when it says, and there was war in heaven. Well, Genesis tells us that our sky, our firmament, was called heaven. 
Was that where the war was? In our sky? Of course not. That was not where it was. And the Bible tells us where it was in the 12th chapter of Revelations. Because Lucifer was intent on moving people from the Father's house, which was located in the constellation that we call the Little Dipper, or Ursa Minor. And he wanted to move them to a particular place, which I won't go into today, in the Drago constellation. But before that could get totally done, there was war in heaven. And the sentries of Michael, the archangel, and the seraphim came to challenge what he had done. Lucifer was expecting that. And he was prepared with his 666 billion soldiers. This is no small game. This is a big, huge event. And we know that the Bible says that the dragon, which is, a, is symbolized by a real constellation called Drago, used his tail. Now the constellation Drago does have a figurative tail, and that tail sort of partway circles around the Little Dipper, Ursa Minor, where the Father's house is. So the Ursa Minor, which is also called Arturus, and oh, there's a lot I could get into on the meaning and how that is, or Artura, rather. Very, very important to understand as I'm getting into this. Very, very important. Here we go. So, Artura has been called in the Arabic tongue heaven. And it is the Father's house. It's a physical place. It's not the heaven of heavens, which is pure spirit energy, where people will go at the end of the universe that have overcome. But it is the interim place where overcomers can go and where they are involved in a continuum of their life in the universe. Now, that is the area then where the war happened because the Bible says that his tail drew one-third of the stars of heaven. Now, there were three groups that came to the universe to create. There was the Ophanim, who were the creators, led by Uriah or Yahweh. There was the Cherubim, led by Gabriel, and the Seraphim, led by Michael, all of them archangels. And one-third of them would leave two-thirds. Well, it was the Ophanim who are the, from the 
Hebrew word ofan, meaning transliterated, wheel. And it's not the word for every kind of wheel. There's other kind of wheels that are called gel, gelgal in the Hebrew. But the ofan were, were people. They were angels who had fallen eventually to earth because one-third of the angels, meaning the ophanim, the tail, which was, is, you can look this up astronomy-wise, and you will see that, that it goes around this Father's house area that we described called the Little Dipper constellation. It's also called the Little Bears, the Cubs. It's one of the Cubs. There's two Cubs. And one is the Big Dipper, and one is the Little Dipper. The Little Dipper is a special place for a special angel-elect, special destinata, overcoming people. There's another place of refuge that's in the Big Dipper because it is the other cub. It is the bigger cub. The bigger place. But that is not where the war was. That is not the heaven where the war was. And in the constellation of Buotis, and we use, when we use the word bow, it means he that cometh. And great writers have said this is the the mythology or whatever you want to call it, the figuration of a man. And without question, this person in Arturus, which have been changed to other names, but it is the most ancient of them. It's been called the Great Bear. And the Little Dipper and the Big Dipper are called the Cubs of the Bear. So there is the connection of Artura with Arturus. We have the emblem, so to speak, of Jesus Christ. We have the emblem of the sons of Enoch in the Father's house. This is all what took place after, much later, after this first war, which took place in the heavens, or the heaven of the Father's house. So now we know that, and we know what part of this is all about, and we know why God is interested and speaks in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John by Jesus, and he says, I'm going to the Father's house, and you know, you've been there before. And the disciples said, what are you talking about? We've never been there before, because they are still in a state of amnesia. They are still in the state of having lost their memory. They don't remember who they were before. The Bible calls it the land of forgetfulness, this earth. Oh, it's so interesting, this story. It's so much like a puzzle that just fits perfectly, piece to piece. So perfect. So then, 
people were reading, they say, well, I don't believe in this thing about about the creators and all of that. What, what are you talking about? Uh, the Bible says that God, or that Jesus Christ, that uh, that he is the one that, that uh, did all of this uh, creation. And I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, uh, sorry, you just don't really know the Scripture. Because the Scripture is very, very complete. And the Scripture tells the story, and it's a beautiful story. And uh, I'm sorry if you don't know it, because um, it is told in the Bible, and it is the story of reconciliation. And the Bible teaches that all the of these openims that have failed and were cast down to earth, that Jesus held all of their capabilities and all of their uh, accomplishments in the creation in a reconciliation so that there was no credit could be given to them for any. And it was all taken in totally under him and by him. Which, in the days of the Egyptians, there would be thousands of people that would build the pyramid, but on the cornerstone, the name of the Pharaoh who was reigning had his name placed there as though he were the builder. Now, there is two sides to that. In one sense, he was the one that initiated it. He triggered it with his orders. And that is very similar that how we can say that God did this. Because when God uses us as tools, it ultimately, factually, literally, spiritually, is God that does it. But nevertheless, somewhere in between, on a medium ground, there is a credit that goes toward the tool that was used. Because that particular tool is not a dead molecular being, but a living molecular being. And that gives it enough clout that it does get credit for what is called works. Works that are done in the name of the, the, of the ultimate God, in the name of the, of the power of God. So, those things are, of course, very interesting, and there's lots and lots of scripture for it. And we will, uh, we will come across that more and more as we, we get into this word. Um, all right, now, let's then understand. You have Jesus holding all of this credit for the Ophanims, and they will not get this star back until they overcome and are born again from above, which is all part of that revelation. Now, here we are. <clears throat> And let's go to, turn with me to Revelations 10. And let's, let's get into some other things. In Revelations 10, and verse 3, let us read. 
there is this mighty angel, this aura angel, Gabriel, who comes down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, a rainbow upon his head. That's verse 1. He has a book in his hand, a little book, his right foot upon the sea, his left foot upon the earth. That's verse 2. Verse 3, he cries with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. This utterance that Gabriel gave, this utterance of voluminous exclamation, somehow signaled the opening of the seven thunders, and they uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, write them not. <clears throat> it wasn't that they had not been uttered and spoken. They had been uttered. They had been spoken. John heard them, and he heard them well enough and, and good enough that after hearing them, he obviously had a grasp of what they said. A grasp that was well enough and good enough for the angel to say to him, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. The things that are in your mind that you remember. Now, if these seven thunders amounted to much of any length of information, you wouldn't think it would be something that would be of the nature that there would be this big burst of thunder and then, bam, seal it up, don't write what it said. How much could be said in just a peeling of, of thunder once or twice or three or four times? How much would there be to remember? Well, I can say that when I was told by prophecy that God was going to send an angel, and this angel was going to reveal to me a manifest. At the time, I had no idea what that would be, and I thought it just might be a page of maybe ten, <coughs> ten points that was to be made to the church. Ten exclamations, proclamations. When that day did come, and I won't go into the details because I think I've described it before. It turned out to be Gabriel behind a sheet of light as I was lying in my bed. And when he was done speaking to me, he said to me, You will now no longer remember the things that I have said. But in the future of time, 
these things will begin to come to your to your memory and as they come to your memory then you are to write them down and put them into a book and make them available for people of the world well it was it was years before that first experience of memory came but I had to understand then as I understand now that there was a tremendous amount of information <clears throat> and it wasn't revealed like sitting there and talking for a hundred days or a few years it was just instantly in a very compacted concentrated sense written into my mind like the Bible says the days will come that I will write the law in your mind and in your heart and that's what happened to me at that wonderful wonderful time and it was written in my mind but I couldn't get recollection of it because God sealed it up till a certain time well John was given an option and he was told just don't tell it don't speak it seal it up in verse 7 there's a little bit of an explanation about this in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared it to his servants the prophets we have to understand that the that this mystery is not exclusive to John we have to understand that there is a plan and that God has 7,000 prophets that have never bowed to Baal and I say that in a figurative metaphoric spiritual sense and this word has been declared to them these people may not even know it consciously yet they may not remember it but as they're hearing this word being ministered it's causing bells to twinkle it's causing lights to simulate and flicker inside of their mind it's causing flashes because something is happening in them and how many people I've had say this when I heard these things I knew they were true it's like things that I have always known I've always known these things but when this word was spoken it was triggered and I knew it was the truth I knew it was real I knew it was the Word of God praise God praise the Lamb of God praise Jesus so there are prophets of God destinata oh how we want to meet them all how we want to make connections with them and they with us we know that that day is in the making we know that even now there are among us 
those that fit into this order. Verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. Now, this method of standing on the sea and the earth is making it very clear that this word is for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for the specific masses and the general masses. It's for the destined masses and the undestined masses. It's for them all. Because every one of them, when everything is boiled down to the finest point of resonance, every person is a failed messenger open him. Well, it would seem there must be a reason why at this time with several of the apostles and disciples still alive, with John alive, that this word wouldn't be spoken, wouldn't be brought at that time. But they were still living in a very dark age. They were still living in a time that the Bible describes in the book of the Gospel of John that a light shone in darkness speaking about Christ. And of course, the word Uriah actually means Yabiel is light, or they used to, uh, before they came up with the Y, uh, used the German J. Yab, Yehovah is light. <clears throat> so it said in that scripture that this light shone in darkness but the darkness comprehended it not it was not an age of comprehending of these deep incredible things and so Jesus deferred it deferred it to another time. And therefore, the word by Gabriel, who is linked with Jesus, linked with him, said, seal up these things. But hold on to this book. Hold on to this book of little things. Because in there is the risen mystery of this whole glorious and beautiful future and past history of the world. The Manifest Bible calls it the Book of Little Things. And that has been the name in the, in the Manifest Revelation for many, 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 many years. In the light of the fascinating and interesting advance of quantum presentations and how quantum is really a factor in 
its effect upon the ma the macro the the big world of physical things it makes it very interesting to be called the book of little things the book of atoms and the book of molecules the book of energy dots the book of Soundtron line traveling at speeds beyond the imagination of the human human thought wave so it's all interesting it's all interesting and I hope you're hearing me well they're telling me to get a little closer to the mic so I'm going to do that but now let's look at something let's look at something along this line that is very interesting there's another scripture in the 22nd chapter the 22nd chapter of Revelation it's the last chapter of the book of Revelation it's like sort of at the end of the dispensation and all these things that have been told in the Bible and in chapter 22 an angel appears unto John, unto, unto John. and in verse 6 it says and he said unto me these sayings are faithful and true and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done And behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. <clears throat> Thus saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am of thy fellow servants, and of thy brethren. We see it is not irrelevant, nor out of line, for a human being to be equated with angels. This angel said, don't do it. Do not worship me. Why? Because he says, for I am thy fellow servant and one of thy brethren and prophets here's a an interview <laughs> between this angel and John in which it's becoming very very clear that John in the human body in the flesh is an angel a fallen angel a failed messenger and there is a recognition by this what we call dignitary a person who has overcome but has not entered back into being a full ophanim because that can't help happen till at the end almost of the universe but he's a dignitary and he's into an, an elect he's in the in the, the I think it's the book of Timothy they are called elect angels 
So they are angels in the sense that they are elect angels, but they haven't come into their full uh, recapitulation of their ultimate status. And <clears throat> now Revelation is just absolutely sensational. Because it reveals the truth about this thing we have been saying. And he said unto me, verse 10, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now we have here, in the first reading that I gave you, in chapter 10, the unction and the order to seal the thunders. Hold the book. Don't do anything in the way of revealing. There is a plan. There's a plan for prophets to minister this word. But then we see in the as the duration of time and the passing of time is put in a sequential forward mode that in this forward mode of time, there comes a time that he says, okay, seal not the sayings of this prophecy any longer for the times at hand. So if someone says to you, hey, this person that's claiming to reveal the seven thunders, he's all wet because the Bible says that that book was to be sealed and not opened. Well, that person just doesn't know the rest of the scripture. Because here in the 10th verse of the 22nd chapter of Revelations, all of that is opened back up. The seven thunders is opened back up. The mysteries are opened back up. The book of little things is opened back up. The unction of the prophets is opened back up. Wow. It is a time. It is a time to go forward. In the 12th verse it says, And behold, I come quickly. But in the manifest version of the Manifest Peace Bible, Manifest Peace Bible Manifest Version, I come suddenly with quickenings to give to every person what is needed for ministering. Oh, that is so good. That is so relieving. That is so specifically applicable to the real spoken word that the Bible is administering here. And it's going to be excited. It's going to be exciting when we are ready to put out this this book. It's going to be exciting. In verse 16 it says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. 
I just want to question that these societies, call them churches, call them whatever you want, denominations, that are not into the angel thing, that have sort of put that aside, that are not having experiences with this in their life in an, in an applying form, what do they do with this first when Jesus says, you know, this is the method. I am revealing these things by angels. And I have sent my angel to testify these things in the church. And if you don't have the angel message to testify these things, to these gatherings of people, which is what the church translates to, then how does anyone justify that the things they are being taught, that the things they are believing, has any relevance to what the real facts and the real ingredients and the meanings of the word is. Go all the way back to Daniel. Daniel did not understand the 70 years that, were, that was prophesied by Jeremiah. The angel Gabriel had to come to him and explain to him that the, that the 70 years were tied in with weeks that were Sabbath weeks and they had to be changed to years for there to be an understanding. And without this, the prophecy of Jeremiah could not be applied in the proper fullest sense. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, it is clear in Psalms and in Exodus, that there was a host of angels up there that, that he met. And one spokesman in particular, the Lord, <clears throat> who met him face to face, which means he had a physical body. Praise God. And he ministered to him out of a physical body. Not a little puff of energy that squawks and squeaks and peeps could come out of that he couldn't possibly understand. But in his language and in a training so that this whole episodic event could be taken in and he could understand it and he could minister it. And we see with, with, with John that the angel is it's several incidents in the, throughout the pages of, and the chapters of Revelation is appearing unto him and saying, the seven candles mean this. The seven the seven spirits mean this. The water means this. 
He keeps showing him that what is apparently the answer is not the answer. And the answer is deeply embedded. And it takes the measurement of the angel in the form of a man to reveal that the measurement has divine ratios, divine application, and therefore divine interpretation. And without getting into that divine interpretation and into that pure purification of the language, uh, taking you back into the lost language of Akka, then you're not going to be able to understand the book of Daniel. You're not going to be able to understand the book of Revelation. You're not going to be able to understand a whole lot of the Bible. Because there's a message there. Even the things that Jesus preached was in parable. And Jesus had to interpret it to his disciples. That is just the way the Bible works. That is just the way it was done. And it was done that way for a reason. Because sometimes it's better for a person not to come into this truth when they, within their own minds and hearts, are not ready to make a dedication unto God. But they're just wanting to have that information just as a thing of interest. There are serious obligations about receiving revelation from God. And receiving it from an anointed person that is chosen to give it. it. It is not to be taken lightly. It is not to be fused around with. It's to be approached in humbleness and in prayer and in thanksgiving to God. It's not a game, it's an opening into the arcanums of the secrets of the universe and universes of the things of God, of which the Bible says if all of the things were written that should, should, I say should, and the Bible says should be written, that not even the whole world could comprehend it. Wow. Wow. There's a ways to go for the human mind to develop, for the spiritual mind to develop. And it's an exciting day that is ahead. I tell you, I am excited about the Father's house. I'm excited about that place called the beautiful shore. And one day, in Artura, the Father's house, God willing, I'll meet you there on that silica white sands of the beautiful shore of the Oranges. The Oranges Sea, the blue Oranges Sea. I'll meet you there on that beautiful shore. I feel this in my heart. I feel this in my spirit. I feel this
divine vibration. This very gentle trembling from the presence of the Holy Holy Ghost. How I thank God. How I praise God for all of that. It is so absolutely important. Now we talked about the seven plural spirits, that these seven stars, which are seven angels that make up the Holy Commission, that they, as a said singularity, are actually a plurality, because they, as individuals, speak for or represent all of the overcomers in each of their universes. Now, we're talking the language of the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, just like when we were revealing years ago that the four rivers of the, of the Garden of Eden were genetic waters and that these waters represented people. And we said at that time, that's the language of the Bible. And we showed dozens and dozens of scriptures all through the Bible, proving that. It took quite a thing to get people to awaken to that. By the same token, this, this plural of one is Bible. Look, turn with me to Revelations 14.2. Revelations 14.2 And I heard a voice, singular, from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. When people think that these thunders and <clears throat> these trumpets and these lightnings are about negative, destructive, devastating punishment and vengeance against humankind, it's because they don't understand inversion. They don't understand that the book of Revelations is like the negatives of pictures. But once those negatives that look black and shadowy are developed, then the colors come out and the details come out. And the the real picture can be seen once it's developed and it's not dark and and cloudy anymore and shadowy, any, shadowy anymore. And that's what is happening with this manifestation of manifest. We are developing this hidden word in the Bible. And as we are developing these negatives that seem to be like curses and plagues and bringing them out, what are we finding? We are finding what it says right here that this voice of one of the angels of the universe, of a, of a universe, has the voice of the many living waters. There's a scripture that specifically says that Jesus has this character. 
that when he speaks, it has the voice of many living waters. And it includes thunder. And as it is further developed from the negative, it's, it's the voice of harpers, the voice, singular, of harpers, plural, harping on their harps as they, plural, sun, as it were a new song before the throne. Now every one of the universes represents a throne. And this is revealed to us in Colossians 1.16 where it talks about thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. And we know that in Daniel 7, 9 through 10, it speaks of the, of the ancient of days and the thrones, not throne, but thrones, plural, were cast down. And as these thrones were cast down, they were representing these seven spirits of God, which the Bible says in both the Old Testament and the New, in Zechariah and Revelations, are the seven eyes, the seven thoughts, the seven eyes. And Jesus, as being a part of this Holy Commission, has the choice of using these these seven eyes, these many eyes of the seven spirits of God. Wow. Wow. And they are going up and down and throughout the earth checking everything. And he has access to all that information via these eyes, the all-seeing eyes of God. Wow. Wow. Now, those verses, it was Colossians 1.16. You want to read that, you get a chance. Daniel 7, 9 through 10. Wow. You know, it's easy to get behind. It's easy to get behind. There's a lot of Christians that just hate the Muslims. They hate them. Not much different than how the Catholics hated the Protestants and the Protestants hated the Catholics. I can remember when I heard rumblings when Jack Kennedy was running for president in the United States and he was a Catholic. And they said, oh my God, this is it then. This is where the mark of the beast, this is where the false prophet this is where the Antichrist is going to come in. You're going to get the Catholics in, in control. And they hate it. The Catholics. And they hate it that a Catholic might become president. Well, that passed, didn't it? Maybe not with everybody. 
But people began to realize there was some real stupidity about that kind of thinking. Real evil in my book. And there's people saying those same kind of things about the Muslims. But not all the Muslims that are into Islam are violent people. And I know that not everyone will believe that. But they're not. There are some good people in those groups. And I'm not trying to preach Islamic views. I'm just telling you that there were people like the Germans under Hitler that hated the Jews. They felt that the Jews were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They hated them. And they wanted to kill them. Mothers, fathers, children, it didn't matter. They were Jews. Kill them. I tell you now, if you are trying to say and believe those things under the banner of Christianity, then I tell you to your ears right now, you are not a Christian. Because Christian means Christ-like. And that is not Christ-like. For Jesus Christ so loved the world. So loved the world. That's why he came. That's why God sent him. The whole world. But, look, why did I even say what I said? In the Jewish Talmud, which is a important book to the Jews, it states that there are at least 18,000 other worlds. Are you having problems believing there could have been other universes before this? Or that in this huge, incredible, uh, monstrous-sized universe that we live in now, that there cannot be other life? You're just back in the days when they were killing people like Bruno and trying to stop some of the the great uh, pioneers of thought because they wanted to change the idea that this earth was not the center of the universe which of course later they found out it wasn't it's flipped off into some sideward wind in some inconspicuous dust point in the universe in the galaxy in our galaxy the Jewish Talmud states that there are at least 18,000 other worlds Islamic in the Quran speaks of all the worlds. And as much as a lot of people hate the Mormons, the Mormons talk about the many worlds. Someone says, well, that makes me all the more not want to believe it. Then we know who you are. And we know that you are not a Christian even if you claim to be. You are not a Christian. And you need to repent. And you need to get down on your knees. And you need to find God. Because you are walking in the regions of the dark. Bruno, who they killed, was a great scientist who lived in the 6th century. And he proposed that he thought it was possible that every star could have a, his own solar system. There are people that have lived and are still living 
that have thought these things out and have realized there is something going on that the average person does not understand. That the average person on the street caught up with their vanities, caught up with their self-survival instincts, caught up with their little world that they live in, is totally lost to. It is time, ladies and gentlemen. It is time. Now, I told you this thing about the reconciliation. And I, I want us just to turn to it. Turn with me to Colossians. And I want to read it to you. Uh, it is, of course, much better written in the MIV. But for now, we'll settle with using the KJV, which is, uh, you know, still, a, a, you know, a good translation. It, it has a lot of uh, beautiful uh, things. It's, it's poetic. It's, it, it's, it's, a neat, it's a neat writ. And I love it. But, you know, it, it does have some unclear way of stating things as far as us really understanding it. Okay. So if you're there, <clears throat> Colossians 2, verse 10. Uh, let's see. I might have misquoted that. Um, just a minute. It's Colossians 1.20. I'm sorry. Colossians 1.20. Okay, let's read it. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, You have to understand, in verse 21, And you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. There are people, there are angels, who did works. But those works became suspended and were, were put into his charge and he held those works like as a treasure because he intended those treasures to not be lost. Those works of creation to not be lost. So he wanted to redeem those treasures. And that is all part of the story of the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. Redeeming lands and redeeming belongings. in his right as a kinsman, of which the Bible says that he's our elder brother. And so this reconciliation is a beautiful thing. And though there was this fall, and though there was this war, that's not the end of everything. And there's your scripture. I know 
some of the words and the terms and the things I've used in the latest blog about this war of the angels, there'll probably be people say, that's not in the Bible. Where's he getting that? Just don't be too sure that it's not in the Bible. Most of the things that I write, I can back with Bible verses. But, yes, ice cream is not mentioned in the Bible, but it's real. The atomic bomb, specifically as an atomic bomb name, is not mentioned in the Bible, but it's real. But, nevertheless, just like the thing that I said about Lucifer and his beautiful mind, that is in the Bible. And like I said about his ability of the continuous stroke, that is in the Bible. And many of these names are in the Bible, but you'd have to be able to have the revelation of Akah, the lost, lost language of Akah, and me be able to show you so that you could then have the summation of how all of these things that I am saying have literal articles of fact. Wow. Wow. That is so very important. Now, we never finished our scriptures on, um, you know, the, the idea of... Um, of the plural of one. We read Revelations 14.2. Let's read a few more of those before I go on to something else. Look at Revelations 19.1. And after these things I heard a great voice, singular. And after these things, and being a, <laughs> a synecdoche, and after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. A great voice, not great voices, but a great voice of much people. Now here we have again the plural of one. A, singularity. Many, a plurality. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bible's language. It is the way the Bible speaks. Many, many scriptures I could give you on this, but I'm just going to give you the ones in Revelation. But there are many others throughout the Bible. Turn to Revelation 17.13. 17.13. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. This is a negative sense, but it's still the same idea. One mind, but giving all of their minds and all of their power unto the beast. It's just it's just Bible language. Turn to me turn with me now to Revelations five. Revelations five eleven. Let me read that. Here is what it says. And I beheld and I heard the voice definite article of many angels, not the voices, the voice singular of many angels around about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them 
was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. Turns out to be a trillion. Those whole trillion of people, which represents the totality of the orphanim, which represents the total of those that overcame in their universe, are put into the definite article followed by a singularity, followed by a plurality. Here is fact and scripture backing what I am telling you about these seven stars, seven spirits of God being a singularity in the mention of their name, but in a plurality as to what that singularity stood for. Wow. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. And this total here, as we've given it, if you have a copy of our book, it gives you the math on it, how that this adds up to a, thou, to a trillion, trillion persons, which represents the whole group of those that overcame, overcame the first universe called the Troniverse. Wow. Wow. Now, there's so much, there's so much to say. But I just wanted to tell you that when Moses went up to the mount, he was told to be very careful, to be very careful that he followed the exact instructions that had to do with the pattern. And we find in Hebrews 9.23 that these patterns that they, they represent things in the heavens. And they're really, really important to understand that though they have a proxy or metaphorical um, forecast or format to them, they are symbolically, metaphorically, a revelation in a deep sense of the word and a deep sense of the understanding of the code of meaning some very important other things. So when we read in Hebrews 9 and we read the 23rd four, a verse, it says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And there we have the different degrees of application. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. There are certain things that God has allowed the 30-fold to be applicable for, that he has allowed the 60-fold to be applicable for. But there are other things that call for the, the utter, the utmost, which takes the application of the 100-fold interpretation. And the 100-fold interpretation brings you in to the utter clarity and the innermost clarity of those things that have been locked in the mysteries of God from the foundations of the world. And there are patterns. It's one level of pattern that is metaphorically given on earth. There's another metaphor of patterns that is given in the physical heavens. And then there is the ultimate metaphor that is opened up and understood in the hundredfold ministry and that has clarification, not only on earth, 
not only in the heavens of the universe, but in the first domain, the heaven of all heavens. And it is exciting. It is absolutely exciting. Go all the way back. Go all the way back. And I heard a trumpet behind me. I heard a voice behind me. Go back from the New Testament into the first books of the Old Testament. And you see David following what God told him about the patterns. And he's meticulous on the weights of the, of the sacred items that are being made. And he gets involved in making this candelabrum. And it has a staff. And Jesus explained it this way. He says, I am the vine. That is equal to saying, I am the staff of the candelabrum. And you are the branches. And there's three branches on one side and three branches on the other. And that's very, very important because it has to do with geographically the thing about dimensions. There are three dimensions in this whole realm in which we live. And they can be described as, you know, width, as length, as height. But the manifest teaches that on the other side, there, is, there are contra dimensions to every one of those specific dimensions. So that in the totality of it, there are six dimensions. And it is so beautiful when we begin to come into the, the meaning of the candles then that are the light and how that the candle itself is like the flesh because it melts and you know it, it becomes less and less. It fades away. But at the same time in a 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold application it has many different relevances that have resonant factors beyond what the common reasoning of the common human mind is and they can only come into that reality by really giving themselves into the, the, into the Holy Spirit movings to be quickened to the truth. Wow. So yes, the mystery of the seven stars are seven plural spirits arisen from the people of each universe. And if we were to put them in a 30-60-fold scenario, we could call that churches. Those churches, seven churches in Asia, they represent in one of the folds those universes in which those people all had to overcome in those universes in order to end up as being part of the plural spirit under their archangel. Wow. So it's exciting. It is so absolutely exciting that it's just almost beyond our imagination. But everything that I am ministering about is in the Bible. 
the syntonic fire. If I had the time, I could really explain that to you so beautifully. And when we read in the King James, we we read about when we talks about the the candles and the lamps and all these different things. It uses in the King James the word vile, but in the international version, it, it changes it to bulls, B-O-W-L-S. And it's interesting, though, because if you even go back into the Old Testament and you're dealing with the weights of these, of these various vials, it is interesting that their weight is 70 shekels of silver. And there comes up the number 70. When you, when you see these numbers coming up, for instance, when you read about there's 12,000 of the tribe of Judah sealed, 12,000 of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 of all these different 12 tribes, when you see its exact same numbers being used like that, you can just know and understand it is not talking in sense of those numbers being the exact figure of the persons that are really applying as being overcomers. And even though it says, you know, there's 144,000, which is the, the, the multiplication of those tribes in summation, there are 144,000 that are you know, going to be like in subversions that overcome. This is all a story of incredible intent and incredible beauty. And it's about a plan of God. And these 12 sons of Jacob and 12 tribes and 12 disciples and these numbers are all figurations shadows and types of the 30 and the 60 fold and then they move into a broader understanding that goes beyond the vanishing point that goes back 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 into time back into timelessness and allows you to view these things in a way never imagined that could be done and you begin to see in this revelation that before there was a universe, there was other things like the Alpha Ages. Can anyone be so humdrum, so screwed into a mental knot, so limited that they constantly live on the, the outward end of a limb, that they would believe that until this time in which we are alive and this universe has been alive and from Adam and on, that God never had a universe before. That God never did creations before. That God never made stars before. That God never made planets before. That God never had earths and planets that were made to be inhabited, as the Bible says, before. Can anyone be in that low limit of mentality 
to think, well, what was God doing all these eternities of the past? Not interested in creating? What's the purpose of creating anyway? Does he need people to be created? He creates people so that they can come eventually through the latolution of time. And in that latolution of time, they can ultimately come to having a, a conscious recognition that there is a God. And from that seeding of that truth can grow into eventually a personal relationship with that God and grow into an eventual overcoming and become sold, S-O-U-L-E-D, so that they can become part of the first domain where they are praising and saying, holy, 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 because God loves company. Doesn't have to have it. Doesn't need it, but he wants it. And that's all part. And these creations have always been just like God has always been. And they're going to continue to go on. And if you don't believe that, you think this is the first time and that in the meanwhile, God was just sitting on some kind of a, of, of a thing called a, a throne and just sort of trying to figure out what he might do. Uh, and it just now, eternities and eternities and eternities and forevers later, finally decided, you know what? I got it. I'm going to make a thing called a universe. I'm going to make a thing called an earth. I'm going to make a thing called a human. Come on, people. That's not the way it ever has been. That's not the way it is now. And you don't want to believe that because it puts you in a very low mental state of intelligence. And a low mental state of spirituality. I know these things might be a little bit of a bump to you, but I'm saying this by the Holy Spirit, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So then, there's going to be the meaning of these 144,000 if it's correctly read, is the measurement of the wall that goes around Jerusalem. And when you really reduce by reduction this wall, which is given in the character of an, of an immense spread and an immense thickness and an immense height, and when you reduce it to the book of little things and to what the Bible says, the Bible says that there's not going to be any walls there like there was before because God is going to be a wall of fire around about this city of God. And so, when it is ultimately reduced to the book of little things, it brings you into the recognition of what the wall really means. And what these 12 foundations that the wall is sitting upon really means. And what this multiplication, when Jesus multiplied the fish, the fish and multiplied the loaves, and he made enough to feed 5,000. And all of that has numerical application. And when God began to reveal to me, quote him, math, quote them rhythmatics, logistical rhythmatics. My eyes were opened. 
And I began to see that God equated things different than, than humans do. So the Bible says, His ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His IQ cannot be accounted for. It has no roof. It has no limit. It cannot be charted. When we begin to understand that that city of God represents a universe, and there's going to be 144,000, and there's all, we're in the eighth universe right now, then we begin to realize the plan of God for universes is going to go on. And there's going to be a lot of these universes. There's going to be 144,000 of them. And then after those 144,000 universes, there's going to be, be another different kind of thing. Not universes, but something different. Not necessarily like it was in the, the Alpha Ages, but some kind of Omega Ages, new kind of, of way in which creations will be made and creations will rise and overcome. And yes, I could talk about that a little bit, but <laughs> I think not. I think we are getting there on the subjects we've covered. And we've covered a lot, and, and they're, they're interesting, and they're exciting. And we haven't begun to cover the whole subject, and I think we're probably going to have to have the, the Seventh Seal Part 5 to really finish this mystery of the seven stars and all the other scriptures that need to be given and all the other subjects that need to be that need to be talked about because it is an extremely sacred and important time and there is so much to apply and so much to be said and I quoted you that verse but I didn't give you the I quoted you the statement but I didn't give you the verse but in, a, in uh, Hebrews 8.10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. How does this happen? Could it be something like I, when I received the Holy Manifest? Before I received it, I didn't have it. Before I met with the angel... Before I met with Gabriel, I didn't have it. And then just suddenly, it was put into my mind. And I wouldn't even know that it had it because I didn't have recollection. I wouldn't have even known it. Except that Gabriel said to me that he had put this manifest in my mind. And there would be days of recollection. This recollection would come to me. And I would suddenly remember these things. And I remember about a year and a half, two years later, when I was getting ready to go to bed. And I reached up to turn out the light. And suddenly, wow, it felt like two hands were put on top of my head. And I could feel this hot oil liquid like running down my head. And suddenly the words sprung out of my mind. When the electrovimatic waves of the soundtron are electrosynchronized to the internal and external particles of fire, 
Circuits are produced that the angels can travel faster than the speed of light. And the, whoa, hey, hey. I reached and fumbled to get the light back on. My wife woke up and said, what's going on? What it is? I said, don't say nothing. I've got to write something down. I've got to find a pen and paper. And I wrote those things down. I didn't even understand the words. I didn't even understand what they meant. But that's what can happen to you. Don't think like, hey, this is beyond me. Because all that has to happen is this quickening can happen to you. Suddenly, like a mighty rushing wind, filling all the house where you are sitting, the house of your being. And God can instantly put the laws in your mind and write them into your heart and say to you, I will be your God and you will be my, my people. Wow. I get moved on that kind of stuff. It's deep into me. That can happen to you. Don't you ever not believe it. In the meanwhile, you keep on the trail going up to the mountain. Going up to the mountain where you can see over the ridges and over the lower hills to the other side. In the meanwhile, you keep believing and calling those things that you cannot understand as though you can understand them. Those things that you do not see as though you do see them. Those things that you're not sure about as though you were sure about. And that is called by Paul, faith. And the Bible says that that kind of thinking will be accounted to your righteousness just as it was to Abraham. Wow. Wow, that is exciting. That is wonderful. Oh, there is so much more. There is so much more to say. But I think we've probably said enough for you to think about. I'm sure your minds are, are full. I'm sure that we could go into things like this in tonic fire we could go into Isaiah 64 1 about the rendering of the heavens wow we could get into the subject of Melchizedek and how that that all ties in there is so much there is so much but don't let the much much discourage you because if forevers have been around forever and eternity is eternal and there's nothing that has been developed prior to that and during that and after that then it would be a sad affair but there is just so much available to the people that want to believe and that want to know the things of God that it takes a prophecy to be fulfilled to really put this thing into effect and the prophecy says that the day will come when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the world, will cover the earth, as the waters cover the sea. That is a prediction of the Holy Ghost. It's coming. The ark is coming up the road. Ladies and gentlemen, hang in there. Hang in there. Okay, now <clears throat> we're going to take the time.
for our session of Gentile and what God has impressed on me is <clears throat> to continue working on on people that have cancer. That is such a blight. That is such a hellish thing. We're going to work on that subject. Okay. Now, <clears throat> recently, they have discovered that they can make stem cells out of other body parts without just taking stem cells from from baby parts. And they have discovered they have discovered that that they can make these stem cells that can be made into almost any part in the body. The only problem at this time is they have not perfected that because these cells do not have the same quality as as true stem stem cells should have. So they end up having a slightly degenerative time effect that makes them less than what is ready to be used in a full conversion of cells and body parts via the stem cells uh, into plantings of replacement. But God is way ahead of the scientist. God is way ahead of all other medical, I believe. But I want to say this before I get into my Gentile, which means generative, G-E-N, generative touch, T-O-U, generative touch, that we are not doing this Gentile because we believe that medical science and medical practitioners are void of understanding or not important. We do not believe that. We know that they are vital and we thank God for them because where would this world be without the help to humanity that doctors and hospitals and medical workers have brought to this world of need. But what we are saying is there are alternate applications and one of the alternate applications is that our minds our minds possess a capability that if the energy in our minds could be loosened if they could be set free if they could be put into directional sequences then they could order our body to free up or bind up any of the hormones or any of the actions that were negative or positive and put them into the proper mode of operation. The body is totally capable of doing that. But we are so cruel to our own bodies because of 
sometimes our choices of bad food intakes. And we we push the, these toxins into the bodies and they have a way of interfering with the signals of the body, with the transmission signals. And not to mention environmental effects and not to mention stress effects and other conditions that happen that affect the nervous system, that then affects the body, and then affects the metabolism. So we're understanding that if this alternate opportunity could be loosened in the body and begin to spit out these toxins and begin to deal with these effects of stress, effects of nerves, effects of environment, eradicating them one by one, that the body could be set free so the transmitters and the receptors that are all throughout our body could go into action and begin to heal our body of almost any possible conceivable thing that would be detrimental or destructive to our bodies. And that is because the Bible says God has given us bodies that are wonderfully made. So today I want to concentrate again on the releasing into the body of stem cells to fight against cancer, to specifically go into the areas that have experienced a destruction of red blood cells and white blood cells, and to begin to regenerate white blood cells, red blood cells in the body up to the level that fits the metabolism design that is best for the human body. That's what this is about. This will also work for people that are having immune system problems, where they have autoimmune, because that is very connected to the same kind of effect that allows cancer to come in and cheat and destroy and rob the body eventually of its life. So here we go if you are ready. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary to the hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic, to the sympathetic neural transmission systems, begin to send messages throughout the body, through the corpus callosum, to all the hemispheres. Begin to send messages through the, the circuit that goes across the ponds, across the membranes, and that circuits the entire body from the spinal to the solar plexus, from the solar plexus to the brain and to the spinal, begin to loosen the energies of the body to be receptive to these orders. Begin to deal with the hormone system. Begin to align the receptors and the transmitters so that they are in the right frequencies to each other. 
the right color tone to each other, the right dimensional shape so that the keen of the two come together and they fit and they open and they close according to the orders that are given. Hypothalamus to the hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, pituitary to the hypothalamus. Send messages to the lymphatic gland to begin to purify the body through the blood system of toxins, of environmental negatives. Begin to deal through the solar plexus to relieve stress on the body due to various kinds of excitations and nerve-bending stresses. Begin to loosen those effects by bringing into those effects that have happened and into the body parts that have been affected. Serotonin, various kinds of, of endorphins, Dynorphine, at the same time being operated and modified where needed by the regulating hormones produced by the hypothalamus. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to thyroid begin to deal with the hormones to the body parts. We will especially begin with the, the coordinate organ parts that are now involved in making chemical equivalents for the body and producing them as elements to now begin to deal with administering the making of these stem cells by using the best available body parts to do that and then to program those stem cells for the replacing of red blood cells and white blood cells that have been eradicated by cancer. Begin this process immediately. If there are any inhibitors, any blockers, any interference type of prior, prior um, messages in the body, cancel them, remove them, put this message immediately into effect let the healing begin. So be it. And so there you are, ladies and gentlemen. This was the seventh seal, number four. And no doubt there will have to be a seventh seal, number five. After that, Lord willing, I want to get into the Ark of the Covenant. And I want to tell you an incredible story about the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Did you know that there was more than one Ark of the Covenant that, that says that in the Bible? Did you know that there was more than one tablet? And although it seems that the Bible is saying that the new tablet was exactly a copy of the broken ta tablet, I want to show you the differentiation. But that will not be till at least the time after this next message. 
I hope that you are getting on to the to the blog, the latest blog that has been done. And I I pray to God that you would be more effective in making your comments. Your comments are really needed. If you would come on and not say anything more than eyewitness, if you would just come on and say eyewitness, it would have your name. It would be a show of backing. It would strengthen the thing that we're trying to do. It would let other people know that there are people that are into this that are believing. People into this. You're not personally putting yourself on the line because you're using using your your special name. And people don't know who that is unless you've told them. So if you could do that for us, and if you could really get on and make an evidence that there are people out there that really care. I'm going to tell you, when I, I did that last blog, I'd only had two and a half hours of sleep. And I stayed up all that next night, or not all of it, but a big part of it, writing that blog. And there was times that I just almost wanted to pass out and to sleep. But I forced myself to stay, stay awake until I could finish it. We have so much that we're trying to do. One of the things that I wanted to do that I didn't get to is I have here, I have here next to me a book that has been printed of the Peace Bible. It's over 700 pages printed on each page, both sides, legal. If that was put into a book size, it would be over a thousand pages. It's an absolutely sensational book. It is not finished. It is not finished. We still have a ways to go. It's going to take some time. It's a lot of work yet. But it's beautiful. And I was going to read to you some of the verses. Perhaps I can do that next time. Please follow my advice, my request, really. And any of you people that feel so led to help us uh, to have order and be able to get the materials we need and meet the expenses we need for this printing. You know, one of the things that we said was that this needed to be done so that we could finish this book on time. And the amount of money coming in just is not doing it. It's not covering that. I mean, no one has given $10,000. And the most of any single amount that we've gotten is 1000 and those were like one-time gifts. Most of the amounts coming in are very small. I hate to mention this, but I feel that people are going to be very disappointed if we don't get this done. And I'm full-time on this. I'm not working other jobs. I'm trying to just get this done. So if I have to stop and go out and raise money to do it, then it's going to be further and further into the future. I don't want to do that if I can help it. I know times are tough. You can't do it. I understand. God bless you. We love you. Amen. Till next week. Bye now. Kitties, this is Alice Cooper, and you're watching You Broadcast, and you better watch.
because I know where you live.